0: Welcome to The Pot of Gold, where we talk all things precious metals and their markets. Today, we discuss the rotation from gold into the US dollar, the data set that spooked the gold markets, and the continuing central bank policy divergence. I'm your host, Shay Russell, and joining me today is Nick Frappel, ABC Refinery's global head of institutional markets. Nick, how are you, mate?
1: Extremely well, thanks, Shay. Extremely well. Sorry it's been a little while since we did our uh, last podcast. But oh uh,
0: Nick <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Nick it's been a couple of weeks. But it's been it's a great time to actually get you back on the mic because Gold has taken an absolute massive plunge. Uh, Now, no doubt that we are going to get into what is driving gold's plunge uh, this week. But first and foremost, because gold is down quite significantly this week, I want to start with some technical information. So basically from you, I want to hear, let's talk about managed money uh, and let's talk about how gold is currently positioning itself um, in ETFs as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So all of the uh, positioning conversations around the CME, just as a reminder, um, we're talking about the latest data release, which goes to the 6th of September, which is Tuesday before last, those latest ones to hand. Um, so basically, if you look at, um, uh, we saw a decent increase in in Shorts up to about 9.3 million. It's a larger proportional increase overall. Um the longs, managed money longs were down by one and a half million during the course of early August through to September. And net positioning in managed money overall is now slightly negative. The, the volume weighted average price for the week up to the 6th is about 1723. So you can see that recent shorts have had a pretty good run. Um, you know, I, I started writing this before the overnight. Um, fall. um and even then the the shorts were you know twenty, thirty bucks in the money, assuming that they'd uh, sort of just stood, stood with those positions. Now, ETF positioning also declined. It's about uh, the same period of time, 9th of August to the sixth of September, ETF positioning declined by almost one point four million ounces. And so together, if you look at CME managed managed money and the ETF positions worldwide, about three point six million tri ounces. Um, drained out of the market over that uh, sort of twenty eight day period. Um, and it probably doesn't bear saying, or you know repeating, is that the current fund positioning in gold way lower than the historic averages that we've seen over the last ten years or so. So what's happening, and you know in particular with the with the uh, sort of sudden you know plunge breakdown overnight, it's the same story that we've really been talking about over the last few weeks. So, uh, the dollar um, has been um, pushing higher, and again, that's that's a, uh, a eff- effectively a yield issue. Um, US US assets yield more than pretty much anybody else, and you've got major economies. That the 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 other two sort of top two two and three largest economies are actually. Uh, going backwards in terms of tightening so the US dollar is is out there uh, there's it's um it we' and we'll talk some of these sort of data reasons why but the US dollar again it's all about the differential yield driving the dollar higher and also U.S uh, real interest rates real 10-year rates they're driving higher too and that's what's got the gold gold on the back foot and also giving shorts a um you know the confidence to 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 grow those short positions and ride them. If you look at where we were yesterday, um, and I had to do a little bit of editing or re, re rewriting because some of this stuff hadn't happened. Um, we were just above the 1690 level yesterday. And of course the previous low was about 1690. So that was a critical point because the gold had managed to recover quite reasonably well from, from that, and then just drifted all the way back again. So there was always the possibility that if we tackled 1690, if the gold price went below 1690, you'd see, um, people who maybe got long just ahead of that recent low, uh, getting out uh, some, some stops and you might also see um further shorts who are you know kind of emboldened by the fact that we'd moved below 1690 pushing the price lower now on a technical level bearing in mind that uh, that that key sort of key hold at 1690 and how important it was the short-term point and figure has a bunch of targets that extend down to the 50s and down to I think the high 30s for the for the short-term point and figure, and where the move down, which was done on pretty significant volume in the first couple of hours of trading, uh, that would have that's that's already fulfilled some of those downside targets. But really, the the break below 1690 opens the way to 1640. Um, there will be a lot of people who. You know, reasonably, quite reasonably say this is a dip to buy, um, but th- those are the sort of numbers we're seeing in terms of uh, the, the, the downside targets. And then beyond that, it'll be kind of up to what goes on with the Fed uh, and the FOMC meeting next week, and we'll probably cover that in a bit of color uh, when we look at those CPI numbers and so on.
0: I am very excited to get to the CPI numbers, although I don't think there's any Americans who say very excited to hear CPI no. numbers right now. Um, look, I just want to t- um, so the the fall you're talking about is what happened overnight on September the fifteenth. Now, at the time of recording this podcast, it is uh, Friday the sixteenth, and we're talking about a two percent fall overnight, which is a, a fairly a big deal in in the gold markets. Gold doesn't normally get rattled that easily. Uh, now, quite selfishly, Nick, when I did see gold was touching that key six uh, level of 1690, the first thing I asked for is what does the point and figure say, obviously, because mm. I have faith in what the point and figure says. Now, as you so rightly pointed out, uh, point and figure points to a further lows of 1640, but as you also said, So much is hinging on what the Fed says next. Now, there's some um, diverging opinions in the market on whether the Fed's going to give us a 75 basis point increase or a 100 basis point increase. Uh, Tell me, from your read, what you're seeing the market data come through, do you think that there's going to be any more shocks to the gold market from the Fed next week or is all of this, um, the Fed's anticipating the Fed baked into the gold market right now?
1: Well, it's it's really interesting because if you look at the the first big number that obviously rattled the markets was um, the U.S. CPI CPI number, and straight away uh, people's expectations, as priced by futures market activity, um, rose. The, the The expectation around a hundred basis points hike on the twenty first, as opposed to a seventy five basis point um, hike, increased pretty markedly. So the CPI number. Uh, took the probability market market-based probability of a 100 basis point hike up to say one in three, and the possibility of a less than 75 basis point hike, pretty understandably disappeared entirely. So it to two thirds, <laughs> 75, one third, 100. But since then, uh, we've seen a couple of some more data, and this is data really about more about economic activity rather than inflation and price so we've seen u.s core and non-core retail sales we've seen the empire state manufacturing index and we've seen the philly fed uh, also manufacturing in- index and they've all been misses so that's telling you a negative story a bad story about u.s economic activity uh to give you an idea core retail sales um dropped by uh minus 0.3 percent they were kind of expected as flat um Empire State Manufacturing Index actually probably did was a beat. It was minus one and a half. Retail sales um, slight beat. Philly Fed really stands out. Um, It's the expectations were two point four. Philly Fed actually came in at minus nine point nine. So you're getting two different things here. And I guess you know, stagflation is the word that uh, everyone will reach for in terms of looking at these two uh, number sets. You've got. a a pretty ugly um cpi number it wasn't necessarily that the cpi number was super ugly what it was more i think is that people's expectations were low uh they didn't expect the cpi to come in where it did it wasn't that it was um a a complete shocker um as we've seen in in some other jurisdictions but it was it, it beat the expectations that was the key thing but then you know, a day or so later, you've then got really, really weak um, economic evidence of really weak act- economic activity. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people will be looking at that and saying that should be much, much better for gold. But you've got to look at how the dollar's reacting to ever an ever tightening Fed and higher and higher. Rate. Well, you know, certainly high expectations around where the Fed will hit its terminal uh, terminal rate and 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 when it'll hit the terminal rate. So that's those are the. Those are the things that that sort of really mattered for gold. Uh, just out of just going on about the probabilities, uh, I said one in three. That was, of course, data from based on data from two days ago, post immediately post CPI. But now we've had some of that weaker US data coming in. Uh, we've seen a couple of other things. We've seen the probability for a hundred basis point hike dropping to about one in four. So a little bit weaker, but. And I'm, you know, this is this is a more of a kind of a, you know, a could be could be thing, but it, there was some evidence that, you know, maybe some of the, um, the, the fairly short dated eurodollar futures got pretty heavily hit uh, over the last couple of days. Some people might be looking to pull money back off that and um, bidding those back up again. That'll obviously have an effect on the probabilities because it's all modelled off that kind of that kind of curve.
0: Um. And all right, now, Nick.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look
0: at look. It is absolutely uh, quite grim, and as you said, the inflation expectations were, you know, the the, the print absolutely beat expectations. But also, to retail data is very important in the US, as you know, private consumption in the US contributes sixty eight percent. Of GDP, So falling retail sales and manufacturing uh, is very, very important to keep an eye on and it explains why there's been this enormous reaction in gold. Now we do have some other currency chatter that we want to cover, but before we get to that, I'd really love to talk about silver. Um, Prior to the past couple of days, silver was actually going on a solid run up until the CPI data was coming out. I believe it was up for nearly 10 days in a row. Um, Now we've talked in past podcasts that silver has been following With copper, tell me, is this correlation still continuing, or is silver broken away uh, with gold's recent fall? And while I've got you, tell me, what's managed money think of silver right now?
1: Well, let's take a look at managed money first. So, on the positioning side, um, there was a little bit of an increase in managed money length, which kind of speaks to the uh, the better performance. Actually, about a nine percent increase in managed money, almost fourteen million ounces. Um, That took the managed money uh, figure to 169 million ounces. Now that was offset, on the other hand, by a 32 million troy or 12% increase in managed money shorts. So overall that took net positioning in silver to almost 124 million ounces short. Um, And those shorts recently, you're talking about the, the week ending the 6th of September, those shorts got put on, and obviously the longs got put on at a value um, weight, volume-weighted average uh, price of just under $18. That gives you an idea of uh, where the, uh, I guess, it gives you a, a sense of where the points of pain are, um, depending where, on where uh, where uh, silver sort of heads off to. Um, since the 9th of August, just to give you a slightly longer view of what's been going on in positioning, managed money positioning, net net length has reduced by just over 79, about 80 million ounces. Um, positioning of our ETFs, silver ETF lost about 19 million ounces in that period that we talked about before, the 9th of August to the 6th of September. Um, silver does continue to track copper reasonably well. And there's a whole there's a whole copper story in terms of, of course, it's sensitive to um, people's uh, economic expectations. Of course, it's also um, very sensitive to what's going on in terms of decisions around uh, uh, sort of sort of zero COVID and lockdowns in China. So um, those are sort of feeding into the that that complex. Um, you know, the, 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 if if there's good news about uh, lockdowns or or maybe easy, easing lockdowns in say Chengdu. Um, that's great. It's, it's a positive for copper and seems to feed through quite nicely to silver. But you know the negatives are the really big picture. If you step back, is that um, GDP China GDP uh, projections are just declining and declining. Zero COVID isn't going away, and then of course you've got some 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 fairly weak uh, US uh, demand US numbers coming out like Philly Fed and so on. So target wise, it still looks good. All those those that that price action you referred to earlier, Shay, that that's still positive for silver. And it's on the point and figure. It's it's created a lot of really nice um upside targets. Um there's room for a little bit of a pullback just below 19, but again, there's still scope for a move um, you know, easily up to 22, uh, 23. Um, I see resistance, and I've just be careful here because I've not been at my desk sort of for a little while, but uh, resistance at 20, 2087 US dollar, 20, 22 US dollars and 24 and a half. So that's where I see resistances uh, coming in as, 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 you know, silver's building a good base up around here and, and moves back up. That's where I see the resistance.
0: Dare I say it, that's nearly a bullish forecast for silver and an almost bearish forecast for gold.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, do you know, I didn't really talk about the resistance levels um, because I, I just went on and on and on about other stuff. <laughs> look, look, um, well, I've
0: got you here. Let's talk resistance levels for gold.
1: Yeah. So look, it, um, the there were some upside targets for, for, for gold, but they got knocked out by the o- overnight price action. They weren't terribly exciting upside targets, by the way. Um, <laughs> but above the recent lows, yeah, there was potential for a move back to seventeen sixties and so on. I would expect that you know if, we're, if if gold were to sort of power back off these lows, um, the the two really I suppose the big levels where you'd look for uh, resistance to come in uh 1690 now because that was a former support um but again beyond that beyond the 1700 level you'd be looking at 1723 and 1745 and that's um that's something there that i'm 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 taking a little bit from your other favorite the ichimoku cloud which i'm (laughs) pleased and proud to say actually featured in the economist uh the last week's (laughs) economist but in a in a semi-dubious setting so (laughs)
0: we won't talk about that one then okay so look that's not a complete uh, negative upside for gold I mean we're talking about a a potential $80 uh, $80 per ounce move over the coming weeks now I do want to switch to some other currencies right now and I want to talk about uh, in particular the Japanese yen now there's been a couple of ongoing themes with our our podcast that we reliably always come back to and it's generally the Fed uh, and it has been this Persistent, uh, what, 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 what? I think what we called it over the, the past few months was the divergence in central banking policy, or the yeah. emergence of the divergence in central banking policy. When we are feeling a bit more creative, now as we can see that the Federal Reserve Bank is aggressively tightening, the Bank of England is, you know, also in a tightening phase. Even the Australia, a tiny little central bank, no one cares about, is in a is in a tightening phase. But the Bank of Japan is going the other way. They're talking mm. about easing. Um, their monetary policy is the Fed is aggressively tightening. So, can we talk about the impact that this is having on the Japanese yen uh, and what this means? Uh, what, you know, what further intervention the, we can expect from the BOJ?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and look, there's a couple of things going on with the with the yen. One one thing is definitely the yield story, um, and uh, you know, the the BOJ doesn't see signs of wage pressures being strong enough and anything like strong enough to justify a shift in their stance from a a very very loose um, monetary sort of condition to neutral or or even tightening that's their that's their first take uh so but at the same time they must be seeing um fairly unpleasant um energy push through uh with the with the weaker weaker yen but essentially yeah as you say it's it's so much about the divergent yield the divergent policy leading to divergent yields the other thing of course which has been really concerning for the yen and it's been uh, you know a big sort of macro macro issue for the yen and for japan generally uh through the course of uh, most of this year has been issues around um china's slow growth so chinese uh all the issues around china and you know we've covered a lot of those uh, you know, property and so on, and um, and and lack of growth and build up in inventories and really, really huge spare capacity. All of that is is incredibly cogent for the Japanese um, economy, and it's it's mm-hmm. most visible, if you like, through the through the yen. So, what can we say about the yen? That you know, given given that. China's issues are so baked in and are so structural; it's very, very difficult to give a positive view on the on the yen by itself. But I think we can say a couple of things. We can at least come out with a couple of little technical facts and a few positioning facts that might um, add color. So, um, doing a quick calculation, if you look at the shorts, short positioning with people being very bearish on the yen, there are two categories that you know we can split out, and it's not managed money this time; it's asset asset managers and leveraged funds and together they give you uh, some kind of you know idea of, of how people are positioned the asset manager um, crowd if you like are as short as they have ever been and this sector has been visible from a data point of view since 2006 so we've got a a, a good chunk of um of, of of historic data to look at they're, they're as short as they've ever been case of leverage funds not so much not not they're not at a historic short but they're short so let's give you some numbers in us dollar terms to to think about the short for the asset manager group is 12 just over 12 billion leverage money is short about five and a half billion um it's it's around about a 17 billion dollar short in in total um i'm just quickly whisking through Um, bits of paper here so I don't say the wrong thing or don't come out with something that's completely wrong. But anyway, let's not bother. The point is 17 billion is uh, or 17 yard is sometimes referred to in FX markets (laughs) is a substantial amount of money. And whether I'm missing a quarter here or a quarter there is not really the point. Um, The VWAP for the week ending the 6th of September, which is the last data point we have, is pretty much 140. It's actually 139.81 as far as I can see now what can we draw any inferences in the short term as a part, as opposed to the longer term um the boj is obviously hinting very strongly at invita- intervention here um and if they feel that you know peeps, shorts are too exposed they might be able to sort of you know kind of we'll throw a word um, hit, 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 hit a nerve, strike a nerve and get a, get a bit of a reaction out of the market and perhaps wound a couple of the shorts, the, the recent <laughs> shorts. Um, it's also notable if you look at where the yen has gone, it's about you know, 145, whatever, uh, medium-term targets did cluster around the 143, 147 level. There is one to 151. So uh, I don't want to go out on a massive limb and call a, a temporary or a, 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 an intermediate top, but it's worth looking at given that shorts are so short and given that price action suggests that the mid 140s is is a sort of a cluster that's we've we've attained the mid 140s even if you can't rule out 151 actually the yen looks pretty cheap that's not advice just saying um and uh, and it just be interesting you know it's a it's a currency to look at the longer term of course is a different picture because it hinges on what goes on with the the fed the Fed's activity is right the way through 2023, and of course, what's going on in China and economic activity there. Um, the negative outlook on China uh, for, for this year and and next um, is such that it's difficult to be um, it's, it's difficult to be really really positive about the yen in that in that longer term framework.
0: Well, while I've got you talking about the negative outlook for China, let's take a quick look at the yuan. Uh, yes. You did mention before we've you've got on that there's been some interesting uh, forecasts for the yuan. That
1: well, the, the yuan, the, I think for for people, uh, the offshore yuan, I think touch seven today. That's a pretty weak level. Um, it, it it it's I guess just a reflection on what's uh, what's going on over there. The some of the numbers that I read about <clears throat> are yeah quite concerning. If you step away from the actual FX and what it's uh, in terms of numbers, but if you look at things like capacity utilization, the really large, um, sort of, you know, fairly large, not necessarily um, incredibly, you know, sort of sexy industries, but, you know, people, you know, steel and and cement, and, you know, steel and cement obviously matter in a large, uh, massive nation that obviously has a huge, huge Hugely geared to the uh, the good old property market, which I'm uh, sure our <laughs> listeners are uh, thinking, when will that come up? <laughs> but anyway, uh, it, it, there it is. The point is, is that steel and cement, um, not unrelated to building houses and apartment blocks, the capacity utilization there um, that I've heard data on is shockingly low. And I think that shouldn't surprise anybody, but you know, one has to be concerned that that is just a reflective of the wider economy, just picking out those two, those two sectors. And you're seeing that in the offshore yuan going to seven against the dollar.
0: Now, uh, Nick, speaking the of question the dollar... Is,
1: is, what does it do now? Well, it do next, you
0: know? honestly, Nick, sometimes it's like you read my mind. We've been doing this for a long time. So one thing we didn't touch on with the dollar before we get to our closing comments for the yes. day, uh, the DXY, you didn't actually throw out any forecast for where the DXY might be because it has been at a two-decade high or near a two-decade high or either side of a two-decade high for the past two months now. Uh, tell me, do you see this uh, the DXY sustaining these levels? <laughs>
1: I do because I think that the Fed, um, the Fed's tightening activities, are not likely to change. In the uh, in the shorter term, there will be a day when they do, and because the larger currency pairs um, that it faces are not tightening as rapidly. Um, then I think that it's not unreasonable for the DXY to uh, carry on appreciating. Uh, there's um, somebody I was watching some of the some of the um, comments he was making about the euro in particular, and pointing out that the euro does look very cheap, except when you look at it in trade-weighted terms. And when you look at it in trade-weighted terms, actually the euro has scope to go lower. I I actually kind of think that the euro you know, the Euro one day will be a a great buy. Um, And that obviously is largely linked to what goes on in the Ukraine. And of course, that's a huge story in itself. The activities that have been going on there in terms of attracting the um, Russian logistics uh, has finally won sort of tremendous uh, success. And of course, the next thing is, is, well, where does that lead to? Does that lead to a um, a sort of a, an outcome a positive outcome with flow on effects to energy sanctions um a change of uh, a change of plan if you like by the russians um or doesn't it too early to say but um at the moment i think there's just um evidence of more instability in the caucasus uh that's probably coming out but uh, p- people are emboldened by the fact that uh the russian military is clearly on the defensive and um, both reputationally and in literally in the donbass and so on anyway um so there's a whole bunch of things that, that there's a whole bunch of things that could change quite quickly the nearest one that we can really talk about of course is what's going to happen with the fomc on the 21st of september and given the volatility of data that's coming out you know whether that's 100 whether that's 75 that will have a big effect on gold in the next sort of five days or so. Although I suspect gold might just stand aside a little bit just to sort of wait to see what comes out. But yeah, the long story is I think the the momentum, I thought the dollar wouldn't run this far, but then I didn't know or didn't know or didn't think about a bunch of other things. Um, and I think that the the momentum is still with the dollar, and we haven't seen uh signs that it's not. Incidentally, um the you mentioned the Bank of England, and I think looking at the expected outcomes there, it's possible that the Bank of England might even tighter and reach a higher terminal level than than the Fed. So that's a that's a whole other thing. Um, but uh, despite having lived there for a, quite a while, um, I don't feel qualified right now to to comment on that but just that you know when people were comparing expected terminal rates for futures pricing over the next year to 18 months um notably at that particular point in time at any rate the BOE looked like it was um, uh, expectations around some pretty significant tightening there and that would make sense because of course inflation there is um even uglier than uh, than it is in you know pretty much anywhere else
0: anywhere uh, yep. else in the G7 uh, yet not only that, uh, from what I'm hearing on the ground in the UK, inflation is going to be pretty horrific come January uh, and everybody's preparing for a very cold winter.
1: Yeah, it's not a, it's not an attractive picture. That's for sure.
0: No, it's actually look. That's look again. There, we could diverge into two separate podcasts just on that, just on what's happening in the Ukraine and Russia at the moment, as well as um, the, what the what the what the UK will be facing over the next six months. But we are a gold podcast, not a not a macroeconomic podcast. Now um, we try to we, be both sometimes. We, we, well, we do, what I think what you said, it uh, you know, I, I've got this in my bag of sayings from Nick, or my little book of sayings from Nick. We talk about the markets that matter during that week.
1: Yes. Uh,
0: and we try to be on the front foot each week. Now, we have reached a time where our time has come to an end, so we do need to get to our closing remarks. Uh, Nick, I think my key takeaway for me today is I'm not sure if it's a key takeaway or it's just because you mentioned one of my absolute favorite passions, and that's retail data. Uh, you've pointed to some very significant slowdown uh in the US market. Uh to me, while inflation data does matter, it's how the people within the economy behave more. And pointing to the significant slowdown in retail and manufacturing, uh, you know, if there's a couple of trends of these, you know, we see more of this data over the next couple of months, uh, that could mean that the US is in for a much harder slowdown than the Fed anticipated. However, Nick, do you have a key topic takeaway from today or do you have an all-new topic that you would like to leave people with to think about into their weekend?
1: um i think that one of the things that we wanted to talk about and i'm just going to sort of flag that but i've never i haven't had the time to get some of the um, information it might become rather stale is that um is just the conversations around um russian energy flows and where they um, can and can't go uh for example particularly with gas and you know again we're not a macroeconomics. Uh, uh, podcast in the true sense but i think that's a there's that's one of those things that is interesting to sometimes uh, lay out some some facts or at least what we understand uh, where the bottlenecks are i think that's kind of interesting um but looking back at where things are i think it's at the moment we're seeing a market where it's more of the same um the bear market rally in equities um rolled over uh, it'll be interesting to see where that goes Um, But again, just looking at it through the gold lens, that real interest, real uh, rates via the Treasury Inflation Protected uh, Securities and the DXY, they're still the two big stories and certainly the two big stories when it comes to gold.
0: All right, Nick, I have to say once again, fabulous to have you back behind the mic. This has been a great podcast, but most of all, thank you very much for being here today.
1: No, thank you, Shay. Absolute pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening. Don't forget to get a better understanding of the technical indicator Nick uses, the Ichimoku Cloud. It's available on most trading platforms. Alternatively, you can check the show notes over at abcrefinery.com forward slash podcast. Here you can sign up to receive more information from Nick Frappell, including his monthly report where he incorporates technical analysis alongside macro market commentary. That's all from us today at ABC Refinery.